I'd like to welcome you all here this afternoon. Uh, this is, of course, a, a program jointly sponsored by Sydney Adventist Forum that holds meetings here and there and the Avondale College Church Education Series. Uh, it often turns out to be convenient to, to sponsor meetings together so we get as wide a possible audience from which, that we, which we can draw. Before we begin, and before we introduce our speaker, uh, I've asked Paul if he would come up and just commence this meeting with prayer. I'd like to bow your heads. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful that we come here today, that we can consider some of the issues that have confronted uh, people as they've considered what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a scientist, what it means to understand the world around us. And we pray that we may be inspired as uh, Dr. Wills talks to us about his journey of faith, and may we be each one inspired. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Graham graduated from his BSc from what was then the University of New Zealand, which had colleges and campuses and various places, in 1948 which was a little before your memory goes back, Wes. And uh, <clears throat> Graham's majors were chemistry and biology. He didn't study geology because he'd been warned that uh, his church viewed geology with some askance and that it was because it was associated with Satan and his many delusions. After Graham finished his study, he needed his brain, he thought, needed a rest, so he thought he would profit from some physical activity, so he dug some trenches, which put him into very close contact with soils, as you would expect. But at that time, he assures us, he knew no more about those soils than most of us. Uh, it's quite different today. After doing some more study, he went uh, to the New Zealand Forestry Research Institute as a research chemist studying the nutrition of trees. And Graham is one of the reasons why we in Australia buy so much of our timber from New Zealand. He is to blame. They gave him all sorts of challenges. Trees would be planted and they would thrive. Uh, other trees would be planted and they would hardly grow at all. Just when you were preparing to mill these ones, it would be noticed that they'd stopped growing. And just when you went to doze these ones over, it would be noticed that they had taken off and acquired, as it were, new life. How to make sense of all of this and how to put New Zealand forestry on the footing that it enjoys today. That was essentially the challenge that faced the young Graham Will. With brief excursions overseas on two occasions, he's been working in New Zealand on soil science for from that time until he retired, a research life of some 40 years. Along the way, he picked up a doctorate of science, which is, of course, a very significant qualification. Along that time, too, he began to realise that some of the things that he was seeing didn't square easily uh, with the things about which he had heard uh, from his church. So he had, to, he had to work with that material and make the best sense he could of it. Graham has, over the last 25 years or so, addressed a couple of Adventist audiences. He did address a lecture to two geoscience field trips touring New Zealand many, many years ago, so far back that I can hardly remember it, he addressed a Sydney Adventist forum in Sydney. Uh, ten years ago, we asked him to participate in the South Pacific Division Faith and Science Conference. That was in 2003. All the world divisions, some of you would recall, organised faith and science conferences uh, following the first international faith and science conference in Ogden and preceding the second in Denver. And uh, Graham didn't have much time on that occasion. I remember telling him that he would have a bare 15 minutes. He had to share the hour with Brian Timms and with Jim Gibson. So this is, in fact, the first opportunity 
uh, that Graham has had to present some of this material at reasonable depth, at a more relaxed pace. We hope that you enjoy the presentation. He is 85, and uh, he has told me that if he leaves out anything that I, that I recall hearing or reading on some previous occasion that I really want him to say that I must interject. So if I do that, uh, you'll know that it's just me being rude as usual. Graham, we look forward very much to hearing from you. We are glad that your health and that of your wife, Vid, who is with us as well, was good enough to be able to travel over from Rotorua. We hope there are many more such trips and we'll get you to take a meeting each time. Thank you. Thank you very much for your, your introduction. Uh, I said to uh, Lyndon, I need a map, a decent-sized map. Now, I don't know what your geology is, uh, geology, ge geography is like as far as New Zealand's concerned, but let me just point out one or two things to start with. From, from, up, from up there, down to there, New Zealand has planted trees. Practic pr practically all of them are Monterey pine. That one was sorted out after all sorts of trees from different parts of the world were tried, and that Monterey pine did best in New Zealand. It's done well in Australia. It's done well in Chile. It's the main pine uh, in the southern hemisphere. And the forests I went to through there, we found nitrogen deficiency, potassium deficiency, uh, phosphorus deficiency, copper deficiency, you name it, we found it somewhere around there. And that's what my life's work's been about. I want to also explain something else at this time. New Zealand sits on the edge of the Pacific Plate and the Australian Plate. The, the plate comes through here, goes down through here, and goes down through here. So New Zealand is right in the middle of the uh, tectonic area. The, the volcanoes are associated with the gap in the plate. I also just want to point out for those that do not know exactly where Rotorua is, That's, it. That's exactly where I, my headquarters for work has been. And as I've gone, gone around the country, I've seen and heard about lots of troubles with pine trees. Now, could we have the first slide there? What have we got up there? Oh, that's right. Soils. The, av the average person doesn't know very much about what a soil is. In fact, we go out here and, yes, we know there's something on, on, the, on the top of the ground, but we don't realise what's down below and how long it's taken for something down below to form. I was in the same position. I didn't know very much about soils, but when trees were not growing, I was forced to look around and find out from others just what constitutes a soil. That gives some idea of the life underneath the surface where the, where the soil has formed. Soils develop several horizons or layers, and these, these are down different depths below the surface. A normal soil can be up to a metre deep. On the top of it, you've got, a matter, you've got an area with organic matter. Down below, you've got soil that's partially developed. Down below, you've got the parent material here. And as I looked around the, exper the experimental areas that I worked in, we saw things that didn't look right. If the next slide is there, please. Oh, no, no, I need to go back to this one. 
Remember I was saying before that New Zealand is on the edge where the Pacific plate is going down underneath the Australian Indian plate and forcing up a lot of the countryside in, in, in New Zealand. I, I should have used a slide which showed that you, we can see right over, right over on the left-hand side, can you see, some, see a, a small arrow there pointing upwards? Someone has said, that's a small volcano, but, but we won't bring it to the surface. We'll just leave it down underneath. But that's where New Zealand's volcanoes are coming from. Whoops. And that's, 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 that's one of them there. Now, that's, that's one I want to spend a bit more time about. That is... In the centre of the North Island, I think that you could, I don't know whether your eyesight will be good enough, but can, can, can you see, as we come down from the, the coast, Bay of Plenty, down between the two black lines, just down on the right hand, left-hand side, you'll see Rotorua caldera. That's, that's where I live. Uh, a caldera is a huge volcano which has blown up some time ago. It's believed that that caldera formed about a quarter of a million years ago. I'm not sure I believe that entirely, but it certainly believe, it happened quite a while ago. And since then, there have been eruption after eruption after eruption around the area. If we could look at the next slide, please. Right. One, one, of, one of my first experimental areas was halfway between Rotorua and Taupo south of it. We wanted to see where the tree roots went because some of the trees above were not doing the best. When we excavated the area, we found that the tree roots, they came down through the topsoil, and then some of them went down another distance and went out sideways again, and went down further and went sideways again. Those trees were looking for nutrition. You'll, you'll look in there. Now, I'm, I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to d describe this. I can't, I can't point to it. Can, can, can you see the, the white layer and the dark layer above it? That dates back to a big eruption in Taupo, which is 100k south of Rotorua. The date of that was somewhere just in the early B AD times. There, there are records in both Greece and China, that there was something happened in the atmosphere, even in the northern hemisphere, back there, in the be, be, before one or two hundred A.D., and that was the that was the eruption, as it left left fifty miles or so away from Rotorua. It surrounded the country and absolutely squashed everything in sight. Then if we look underneath it, we can come down to, un underneath that white layer, you can see a brown layer. It's not complete across the way, but it, on the, on the right-hand side, that's an old soil. The, what the topsoil was like back there just into AD. Then if we look down again, we'll find another brown layer. Look down again, and we'll find another brown layer. Those are all buried soils. You may say, well, how do you know they're buried soils? We've, we've taken them out and analyzed them, and they contain, they contain organic matter, they contain nitrogen, 
phosphorus, magnesium, all the essential elements for, for, for tree growth, for plant growth. If you start to look at those, you think, how long did it take for one soil to form and then be the vegetation on it obliterated and then another soil to form after a vol volcanic eruption came in and another soil to form after a volcanic eruption came in? These were questions that I asked people as much as I could and tried to get an answer to just what had happened there in, in the past. Now that is a, a place just halfway between Rotorua and Taupo. That top white layer covered half of the North Island of New Zealand. It went out to sea, those of you who know Napier and Hastings, it went out to sea there. It came up towards Rotorua and beyond. It went down Palmerston Northway. It, it, it went over to New Plymouth Way. It must have been a huge eruption that obliterated everything. And then, in some places, forests are formed on top of it. Could I have the next slide, please? I wasn't actually doing any, any work on this particular spot, but some of the... Uh, Pedologists, as they call themselves, the, the people that look at soils and map them, they were doing a lot of work in the Rotorua area. And on this area where I said there'd been an eruption a quarter of a million years ago, right beside Rotorua Airport, as it is today, someone was doing, well, not someone, some... some uh, people were doing roadside cuttings. They were straightening the road, and this was what was on the roadside cutting, the side of the roadside cutting. Just the centre button there if you want that one, Ryan. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you can point to the uh, oh. little laser there if you point, hold that button there, that will... Right, right. Thanks, Lyndon. You can, you can, see, you can see at the very top there a label, and that label is the uh, Taupo pumice as, as it got there. This, this was an eruption which, which occurred about 600 years ago. These other ones I can't read, but each of, the, each of those labels is an eruption and a soil that formed. You can see that there's one soil there, one soil there, one soil there, that one is not cleaned up very well. Another soil there, another soil there. This is all alongside the Lake, Lake Rotorua, where after the bigger eruption had occurred, one, two, three, four small volcanoes came up within the Rotorua caldera. Could we just have the, the next one there? Now, this is Lake Rotorua, and you, you can see the extent of the, of the caldera which is left there with the cliff along the side. That's the, that's the side, side of a caldera. I might just say at this stage that you can see around the, the edge, edge of the lake, around the edge of the lake is almost exactly 26 miles. And uh, you'll know what 26 miles means for those people that like to go jogging around. And once, once, once a year, that, that for the last 30 or 40 years, there, there's been a competition to see who can run around that lake as fast as possible. There were hundreds went, went there last time. I haven't been enticed at all. <laughs> so... That, that gives you some idea of the area of New Zealand where there has been eruption after eruption after eruption. One thing 
that is, is interesting. As far as the Taupo eruption is concerned, as with all volcanic material, it weathers in time. And the sand and the silt particles turn into clay. That up the top, which came in early AD time, has developed about 2% clay. This is a volcanic area which is very active at the present time. I want to point out to you just what has happened further north than that. This, this area here has topsoils which is about 2% clay. Up here, am I speaking loud enough? Yeah. Up here there are other volcanoes around the Hamilton and Cambridge area. These volcanoes are older than the, the, the ones down here and you're getting 20-30% clay development in the soils on top there. You come up here just south of Auckland and in that area there you're getting nearly 90% clay development. And when I saw those figures I asked if we get 2% clay development in about 2,000 years, how long does it take us to get 20 or 30% clay development, or 60, 70, 80% clay development in the other region? I didn't know. But one thing that helped me try and get an estimate, another estimate of this, was if we could have the next, next slide. No, I, I want, to, want to talk about this one. Now, we'll, we'll go, go back, Lyndon. One on, please. One on, one on. Yes, that's it. You can, see the, you, you can see the buried soil there. Uh, that was the top of the ground in 1886. The 1886 eruption came and the material above there arrived overnight in three or four hours. That was, that was a very quick eruption. But if you look closely at that, I think that you can see along the top there is a slight darkness just along the surface. That, 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 that soil is, has developed in uh, 100 years or more. You can see down below it, how long did that one take to develop? I ask you that, I ask you that, that, that question. Right, if we could have the next one, Lyndon. Those of you who know Auckland at all, would know that this Rangitoto Island lies out in the harbour. If you look at Rangitoto Island from the city, it looks a tree-covered island. If you go out to Rangitoto Island, you get, you get off the, the ferry at the wharf, and this is exactly what you're faced with. It's not a, it, it, while it's a tree-covered island, it's a rocky, very bouldery island. This is that round the edge. If you get up near the top, the material that you're walking on, it's, you'd think it was, well, that's a soil. But it's, not, it's got a bit of sand in it and not, not really much organic matter. How, how long did it take for this material to stay in place, unaffected by any real weathering or anything at all, growing a few trees? The estimate is that these trees and the island, the island was probably six or seven hundred years ago when it erupted. 
It's the last volcano in Auckland to, to erupt. Um, just just in, incidentally, um, Auckland has 40 or 50 volcanoes within its boundaries. Uh, most, most of them have gone. Someone's come in with a bulldozer and said, oh, this, this is a small volcano, let's get rid of that. We can make roads with that material. You're driving around Auckland now, and you'll see that they're putting some new highways in. One of them is going to go down under, underneath uh, part of the, uh, the city, and to do so, they've, they've got to get the volcanic material out of the way. Now, mo most of that material there is basalt. Now, basalt is a different chemical or different volcanic material to the, to the materials that have come out near Rotorua and Taupo to the south, which have largely got a lot of silica in them, and they're fluffy, and uh, a lot of them will float. If you've, uh, if you've been down Taupo Way, you, you'll see on the beach there are pumice lumps. Uh, those, those that are not familiar with the area go around picking them up and thinking that they can do something to their uh, feet or their arms or that and uh, level, level them out a bit. But this volcanic material is all, is all basalt. And that takes a lot, a lot longer to weather and break down than some of the silica areas. Now, that's the last volcano to erupt. And to all, tens and, to all purposes, there is no soil there at all. If you come onto Auckland itself, if you go to places like One Tree Hill, the tree is gone recently, so that it, it, there's, there's no uh, one, one tree on the hill, but they still call it that. And Mount Eden, uh, Mount out some of the others, there is a small soil formation that has happened on the, on the sides of the um, lumps that, that are left there. In fact, in some places, uh, the Maoris have scooped the areas to one side and made them up into Coomera uh, areas where they could grow some, grow some vegetables on them. If you come a bit further south than that, south of Auckland, you'll come to Pukekohe, Bombay Hills. They, they may mean, those names may mean something to some of you. This is just as you're leaving the real Auckland area and, and heading south. It's market garden area. The soils there, they don't know quite how deep they were when the first Europeans found out that they grew good vegetables, but they were metres deep. They still are metres deep, but they... Agriculturalists estimate that there's probably at least one to two metres of the soil on those areas. Oh, sorry. Uh, one to two metres of the soils there have slid off the slopes as the agriculturalists have ploughed and replowed and that. Oh, good on you. Thank, thanks, Lyndon. There's... There's an area. That, that was a basalt vo vo volcano back in time. And you're left there, you can see the, the brown colour, dark, very dark colour, and it's estimated that the, it was many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years, that were required for the basalt that came out of the volcano to weather and to get to the depth it has. Let me see what, what, what else we've got there, uh, Lyndon. What, what's next? Oh, I know. Those soils that we've been talking about at present, 
mainly in the, in the North Island where there have been volcanoes. This particular one is in North Auckland, away from volcanoes. And soil development there has taken quite a time. If you, if you look at that, the very, the, the very top of the slide shows the topsoil. Now, that thing that looks like a boot or something there, I don't know where that came from or how it got there. We'll, we'll leave that out there. Then, 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 then you can see a white layer. This is a white layer of sandy soil, and underneath that, you've, you've got like one of those things that we were calling buried soils before. This has a very different history. The iron content, magnesium content, of the parent material that was up top has been dissolved and moved down the soil profile, profile as it's called, and de deposited further, further down the soil. These sandy-like soils are the ones that grow under a very acid vegetation. The cowrie pines and other native plants give a very acid leachate going down the profile, and that's what you... That's what you see. What have we got there next, uh, Lyndon? Oh, that's another one illustrating this, this, the same point. The white layer, the white sandy layer, has been developed over time as part of the mineral content has been dissolved by acidity and moved down the, uh, the profile. What have we got there next, Lyndon? Ah. Now, the, the, top, the top slide on the right-hand side is what we looked at near the Rotorua Airport and the layers of soil that had, that had developed there. The next one is another one not far away of where soils had developed. Just to bring up before you, those, a lot of those soils, they're dated. They're dated by some people who say, oh, I can't trust that sort of dating. Um, maybe there was something went on there that was different. But the, the, around near, near Taupo, not so long ago, they were in a swampy area, and uh, I don't think anyone had been there trying to farm or do anything there. But this, this swampy area, someone did a bit of bulldozing around, and they found a whole lot of trees lying parallel to each other. They'd obviously been hit by a volcano's eruption and they were able to, to cut in them. Those trees were 700 years old. 700 years and another eruption. May, maybe several hundred years for the, original, for the trees to get back in that area growing because everything had been flattened before it. This gave a good idea of the time sequence between volcanic eruptions in that particular area into the thousand years or more. I want you to look at, at, at this, this one on the bottom, on the bottom at the left. This is taken on what's known as the Desert Road, going around the volcanoes there. And this area has a different type of eruption to the big ones that have banged out uh, in the Rotorua area. This, this eruption occurs every now and again. We don't know how frequently, but you can see the, free, the, 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 the layers that 
are, are on, the, on the side of the road there. You, you may have heard that uh, Ruapehu is a volcano right to the south. Uh, it has a bit of a puff occasionally. Uh, very, very thin in, in, in my lifetime, although at high school I can, can remember being over 100, year, 100 miles away and we got uh, so much ash from the, from, from the volcano. But that, that indicates quite a period of time to form soils, to, fo to form vegetation. What have we got next there, Lyndon? Lyndon? Oh, this is something completely different. Down into the South Island. Now, this is the South Island Plains, Christchurch Way, looking, looking out into the, into the mountains. And can you see a dusty... Sh it looks like a fog across there. The wind is blowing dust out of the riverbed, and that dust accumulates across the plains and forms soils. And there are, there are some parts of the South Island where there's a, a metre meter or more of this dust, or lurse as it's called, is on the surface, and then there has been a soil developed, and then there's another period where the weather pattern or such, there's been, there's been dust blown out, and this has happened two or three times, and up to several metres deep. You say, oh, well, how long, did, how long did that take? I'm not sure. But I don't, I've got the figures here in front of me of that. There was a report from China where these loose soils, these wind-blown soils, wind-blown sandy soils, and then another one, and there was up to 300 times there in China where there'd been a period in the weather that had brought this material out and then apparently had slowed down enough or cleared enough for soils to form and then the windy material came and another layer was put in. I think, if I, if I remember rightly, in, at present time, not too long ago in the news, round Beijing and that area, the, the, uh, the windy material is bringing that loose material and spreading it around there. What have we got there next? Oh, right. How am I going for time? Okay. As you, as you would have heard from me, I've had great difficulties with time. As, as an Adventist church, we have for, well, all my lifetime, we've opened a Bible, and there in Genesis, the first column, 4004 BC, and... Uh, that, that has been something which has been not exactly a doctrine, but it's been a belief with us. I've looked around at the soils in, in New Zealand, particularly those formed by volcanoes, and I can't see a time pattern of 4000 BC. But now... I want to, I want you to read those those no I think it's the uh, where are we oh, I leave leave you to read it I'll read it out too Ellen White evidently adopted Usher's chronology as the best then in general use and her 6,000-year statements were historically conditioned to that chronological system. Had she not followed that system, then pro 
popularly considered as authoritative as the Bible itself, she would unnecessarily have given Bible-believing Christians an ostensible, valid reason for charging her with contradicting the Bible. You know, we often say that Ellen White said this and well, Ellen White said that, but that, w that would indicate that some things she said were not exactly the truth at the time. Now, those of you who... Uh, Cottrell's name's not on that, is it? On, on, on the first one. Uh, if Cottrell, who spent the amount of time he did with the Adventist commentary, writing it and assembling it, he must have had a terrific amount of information in his head that if he wrote something like that, I think twice about saying, oh, no, he was wrong. What was, what was on the... That's the second slide. That's the second slide. What was... What, I, I know what's on the, on the first one. Um, this is the, uh, the one... They're both two halves of the one, th one thing. Right. This, this is something else that Cottrell wrote that uh, appealed, appealed to me no end. Yes, please. This, this, this to me uh, is a very appropriate <laughs> thing. Many years ago, the Reader's Digest told the story of a migrant father from the old country who migrated to the United States with his family and settled in New York City. Dad was a hard-working, blue-collared family man with very little formal education, and his English was primitive. One Sunday afternoon, he took his son to explore the Bronx Zoo. From exhibit to exhibit, Dad identified the various animals until finally they encountered a rhinoceros with an enormous horn at the end of its nose. Dad had never seen or heard of a rhino. There were none in his home country. Furthermore, he could not pronounce its name. So to his son's request for information, he replied after an embarrassed pause, Come away, there ain't no such animal. But the, boy, but the boy had seen the animal with his own eyes, and Dad interp Dad's interpretation of the ed evidence was just not convincing. In our, in our part, our trouble as a church today results from the fact that some of us have seen things with our own eyes that others prefer not to see, or to incorporate in their personal model of reality. It, it suits, maybe it suits me, but I'm one of those people that think they've seen things that others haven't seen. Have I got something else on there? Oh, right. Um, Arthur Patrick and I have had discussions in forests and uh, emails backwards and forwards. And uh, he's, he's, he's encouraged me when I've written about time and trees and volcanoes to, uh, to continue because he said... The evidence, not just trees and volcanoes, but all sorts of other things, there's so much of it about. And I was interested to read our division president write this in the record. Arthur wasn't always easily accepted by his church. 
because sometimes he was well ahead of the rest of us in his thinking. In his love for his church and his ability to clearly articulate with, with integrity those things that we need to know about the, who we are and where we're going. I've, I've been tempted to uh, send an email to the division president and say, can we move on, please? <laughs> I think that's probably enough from me, Lyndon. I'll leave it to you to ask people to ask me any questions that come to their mind, any comments. But as you can see, it's something which has occupied my, my life. I, I worked for 40 years on it. I've been retired for 30, 20-something now. But things are still the same as far as I see them. As we look around, nature indicates time. Does anyone have some questions or a question that they would like to direct to Graham? We'll bring him up in just a moment. Brian, I can repeat your question if it's... Uh, Graham, if you come up, the question was, uh, Graham has been talking about implications of age based simply on the time it takes to do things, but are there any, any dates that science has returned of a quantitative nature? Carbon-14 is used, yes. Uh, in those buried soils, either peat or wood or charcoal has been removed and there's a good series I can't put everything up there on, 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 the, uh, on the screen but there's, there's a good series of dates carbon-14 dating another thing I could have mentioned that you saw those slides of dates given by eruptions that arrived around Lake Rotorua and built up there. If you go north of that into the Waikato region, there are lakes, a series of lakes, and in those lakes, peat has developed. And it's peat layer, pumice layer, the same as came from Rotorua. It, it must have taken a long period of time for those layers of peat to develop there and before the next eruption came. Uh, another, another thing that, that has been done in, in the South Island, the uh, Fox Glacier is, and the Franz Josef Glacier, uh, bringing material down from the... Uh, tops of the mountains and the glaciers used to come right just about to the sea to the sea the glaciers are not don't come as far now and soils are forming back from the sea back to where the glacier is is at present and the i think they've done it for, for particularly for phosphorus the phosphorus content of the rocks up on the mountains. They've measured it down to the sea in the various soils that are formed, and the phosphorus content is down to half that. It must have taken a long period of time. Uh, they have estimated it as 30,000, 40,000 years for the rock that came from the top of the mountains to come down, be deposited by the um, glacier going backwards, and then to develop a soil down there. Uh, going to your original question uh, about carbon dating, uh, if you, an absolute follower of carbon dating, yes, you can follow these things through. If, you, if you're 
doubtful about carbon dating. There are other things where you just look at the amount of clay which is formed, the other processes which have been formed in soil formation. Good. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And that helps you date them too. Yeah. No, the. Mm -hmm. Yes. Back, back, back around the, those ones in the, in the Rotorua region. Uh, I'd have to get them out there, but they're, they're, they're as I say, they're found either timber or. or um, peat or carbon. Uh, the the uh, charcoal would, would have been from the fire that went through the area uh, after the eruption. Question just over there. Oh, sorry. Yes. Thank you. This is, this is, that, that's exactly what Arthur <laughs> told, said, said, said to me. Look, there are so many other different ways of... Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have a question. Hi, Graham. Uh, look, a different sort of a question. Um, as a boy, I grew up in, in Wellington, Tikahi Bay, exactly. And when I used to go to mushrooming on the hills in our area, which are about probably 50 to 80 metres above sea level, mm. often used to find um, large uh, collections of seashells up there. Now, I always wondered whether that had come from maybe an ancient Māori settlement and they maybe they collected the, the seafood from I think in a large number of cases they were taken there. Those of, the, the, you, those of you who know the uh, Tauranga region and uh, Mount Monganui there, you, you go up the sides of Mount Monganui, there's a track around there, and you come to some areas where it's all shells. Go a bit further and it's all shells. And I think undoubtedly the, the Maori people had got their pippies and everything else down, down at the water and come up there and uh, had a good feast. And I think that's been the case in a, a number of places in New Zealand. But in others, if you, uh, those of you who know um, Napier Hastings and the Havelock Hills, if you go to the top of the Havelock Hills, there's shells everywhere there. Now, that certainly wasn't the Maoris. But now, how that happened, that, must, that lies alongside the thrust area uh, of the uh, plate, the Pacific plate, thrusting up the um, Australian plate. And those hills around there over time have all been thrust up, I'm, I'm sure. Now, how long ago that was, I haven't seen any estimates. Well, I don't know any estimates. And I'm sure that, that, that's happened in, in, in other places too. So the answer to your question is some of them in the country were, were, were Maori um, areas. Others, I think, has been thrust of, of, of the um, uh, countryside. Now, I know that two or three tens of years ago, I think the geoscience people, someone said, we're going to concentrate on getting an indication 
of where the worldwide flood would have come. I don't think there's any answers yet. <laughs> uh, certainly, as far as I'm concerned, moving around New Zealand from one end to, end to the other and looking, I have never seen anything that I would say, oh, there's a, there's a worldwide flood level. No, I, there's, there's so many differences and that, uh, that uh, nothing seems to fit in with that as far as I can see. Graham, let me just ask you further on that point since you've raised it. <laughs> if you were digging around in soil samples, you feel that a soil scientist or a group of soil scientists would would definitely be able to detect the presence of waterborne sediments, particularly in the kinds of quantities that one would expect from a, a huge deluge, and that, in fact, you do not find them within those soil profiles. Is that a fair summary? Yes, that is a fair summary. Um, halfway between Taupo and Rotorua, there's an area there that, after the big Taupo eruption... It must have blocked off various hills and various places, and it flooded up that area. And that flooded up area has got water layers, water layers, water layers there. Uh, there's a photograph of two in, in, in the book I've got there. So def definitely there were areas where there were floods. But that was just in a topographical area elsewhere, the eruptions that I've seen, they're uphill and down, down dale, and there's no indication at all that it's flattened out at anywhere and had water across it. Oh, no, I really don't know. Uh, but it is thought to be because of like the Hawaii, it's a volcanic origin. Yes. The plate tectonics model estimates that New Zealand, at least the south of the broken way from New South Wales, <laughs> around 86, 87 million years ago, and there was a defunct rift in the Tasman Sea, which caused the opening up of the Tasman Sea. <laughs> Howard, Howard, Howard is well known for the clarity with which he helps answer difficult questions. Graham, I have a question. Sorry, Terry. Travelled down. In fact, just just yesterday, I was travelling down. And I saw those layers there, and I thought, how much soil is it right up on top? There can't be much where, where, where those trees are rooting now. Let let alone anything down below. Uh, but no, I may know one or two things about New Zealand, but Australia, no thanks. <laughs> Graham, can I ask you one question? Uh, one of the interesting developments in the Adventist understanding of origins over the last 30 years has been an increasing willingness on the part of many Adventist thinkers to embrace conventional scientific ages for the inanimate universe, that is the universe, perhaps even the sun, perhaps even the geology of the earth, but at the same time to insist on comparatively recent ages for the biota, the living sphere. Mm -hmm. From what you have said this afternoon, though, as you look down through soil profiles, down into the paleosoil profiles, it seems that there is evidence not just of age for the geology, but of remains of life itself. Is that true, and can you comment? <laughs> I like the words, he's asking me, is it true? 
Look, you spend your life thinking and rethinking things. And uh, you, know, you, know, you know very well ice and the depths of ice in Greenland and in Antarctica. The, the, there are questions there that I don't know what the, what the answers are at all. But as, as far as... No, I won't, I won't point venture forth. The glaciers, <laughs> the glaciers in the South Island... Yes. I don't know. But, you know, that's, that's another whole question. The glaciers in, in, in the South Island, those U-shapes, uh, the depth above water and the depths below water, how long did it, did it take for the ice to clean, clean out the, those areas and then to grow trees on top of them? Uh, it wasn't short time. Can I just comment about the drillings that they have done? Um, scientists are currently hoping to find an area where they can find one million annual strata. They've not quite got there yet, they're very close, but they're expecting to find one million years. Mm. You know, um, we read in the, in the Bible, knowledge shall be increased. And it's certainly happening in the world around us. And I do feel that as a church, we ought to be reading the, knowledge, reading the new knowledge that's, that's coming up. Uh, I spend a small amount of time on the computer looking at the Hubble telescope and what, what, what it's finding out. And... Uh, the changes that are embodied with, within that whole universe, they're not static. They're, they're just turning over. And some of them are almost negative in that things are blowing up and are finished with. And something new is just starting. Uh, someone someone in, the, in the Sabbath school class this, this morning made the remark about... The people in other parts of God's creation, they must be dumb if they can't see what's happening on this earth. And I think to, to some extent, we're a little dumb at times if we can't see what's, what's happened in the past and what's happening now. <laughs> yes. Sorry. 
I, I spent a year work, working in Scotland, and I, I was in Aberdeen, and uh, it was quite an agricultural area. Um, but while I was there, they had to lay some new water mains. And to, 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 to lay the, the water mains, they went down into the soil about that far, and then it was granite. <laughs> and to, 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 lay the, to, to lay the water mains, that, they were blasting their way through, through granite because certainly at that temperature, soil formation was a lot slower. It had been a, a lot so, slower. Question, I think probably our last question. Yeah. Well, the short answer is no. I've, I've, no, I've, I've never seen any that, that, that didn't have rings. Graham, I have one last question for you. Hey, you've already had two or three. I know, yeah. but this one, this one is one you won't escape. This is perhaps the trappiest question of all. You are 85 and you have done 40 years of research in this area. When you first encountered some of these difficulties, they were almost unknown and unmentioned in the church that yeah. all of us love. Now, you are still a member of the Rotorua Seventh-day Adventist Church. You've been a member there for many years. I'd like to ask you, whilst you have dealt with some of this material and whilst you have had to adjust some of your ideas, even at some quite fundamental uh, levels, have you ever felt your faith to be challenged? No, I haven't, haven't heard my, felt that my faith was challenged. 28 fundamentals, though. I wish there were fewer. <laughs> Graham, thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much. We'll ask Graham to give us a, dis a dismissal prayer if you would bow your heads. Dear Lord, you've been present and you would have heard our comings and goings, our thoughts. We do ask, though, that you'll, you'll ask us to continue to think and to continue to look at things. And we look to you to find an answer to at least some of them. Some of them we realize the answer will be later in your doings, not now. We ask these for Christ's sake. Amen.